You're listening to a podcast from Northeast Christian Church. For more information about Northeast, go to ncclex.org. Thanks for listening. It was April the 25th of last year. It was the day before my family and I were leaving on vacation. And I was leaving North Lime Donuts. And why I was there is none of your business. But... (laughs) As I was leaving, I was backing out of my parking place, and I started coughing. I had a coughing fit. I had had this bad case of bronchitis. I was taking all the medicine, but, you know, take the stuff that knocks the cough down during the day. kind of makes you drowsy. And so I stopped, and I just kept coughing, and finally got control of myself. I started backing out when, bam, this old SUV just ran right into the right rear quarter fender of my, uh, of my Ford Fusion. And I couldn't believe it. I mean, the day before vacation, right? And I didn't look a second time. This is on me. I mean, I realized it. And so I got out, and the lady who hit me, she was really nice, but she was really concerned about the damage to her her vehicle, which I thought was a bit ironic because the part of her car that hit me had this big, giant, rusty dent already there. This was not her first time to tangle with somebody in a parking lot. The police came, they were great, and then they informed me that it was my fault, and uh, I couldn't believe it. I was just so furious with myself. You know how I'm feeling? Like if I'd have been paying attention, if I'd thought this through, if I'd just been doing what I normally do, this wouldn't have happened. Anybody ever had a moment like that? Anything like that happened to you? And it just, you know, you went from zero to 60 in frustration, Have you ever been hacked off so bad that you almost couldn't function? Well, if that describes any moment in your life, I'm glad you're here because this morning we're going to talk about how we get held hostage by this thing called anger. Anger. We've, We've been in this series, we're wrapping it up today, called Chained, where we've been looking at these things that hold us hostage and keep us from being all that God intended us to be. We started this whole series looking at bitterness and then worry, and then last week we looked at addictions, and if you've missed any of those, I'd encourage you to go back and check those out on our website or our Facebook page. I think it would be helpful, especially if any of those issues resonates with you. Today we're going to look at anger, and some things that make us really angry over time, if you're not aware of it, it's easy for us to become kind of consumed or held hostage by our anger. So what causes you to be angry? Do you know in your mind, do you, when I say that, does something readily come to your mind? Maybe it's a person, maybe it's some, an event, maybe it's a, a situation, something that you deal with on a regular basis. You may not be aware of what makes you angry, but I promise you there are people around you that know. They see it. Sometimes they're in the crosshairs of it. Maybe something happened to you several years ago, and you're still angry about it. Maybe somebody took advantage of you. Maybe they offended you. Maybe they hurt you. And on occasion, every once in a while, you'll replay that whole event, that incident, over in your mind. And It makes you angry all over again. Maybe you think, this wasn't the life that I planned. I mean, I really thought I'd be much further down the road of success than I am. But here I am, 
This is it. I didn't expect to be right here. Maybe you look at your job and you, you focus in on your boss and you go, man, that guy takes, takes credit for all my work and I've never been compensated for all that I do. Maybe it's your marriage. Your spouse knows the, bus, the buttons to push at just the right time to get the maximum frustration out of you. You thought it'd be a lot better than this, truthfully. Or maybe you're angry at yourself, and it goes way beyond a fender bender outside the North Lime uh, donut shop. Maybe it's decisions that you've made. They weren't the best. Maybe you've gotten yourself into debt or maybe something even worse, and you're, you're trying to figure out, how am I ever going to dig out of this? And it just makes you mad, and you're mad at yourself. And then there are those that might just well be mad, very well be mad at God. You pray and you pray and you want for something to happen, for God to move in a specific way. And time and again, it just hasn't happened. Not the way you wanted it to. And so you're mad at God. Today we're going to take a dive into God's Word to see what the Bible has to say about anger. So if you have your Bible, turn to kind of the anchor passage for our talk today. It's Ephesians, the fourth chapter. We're going to look at verses 26 and 27. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27 says this. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. The Apostle Paul wrote this, and he wrote this letter to the Ephesians. He wrote these very words, from incarceration. He was in a prison. (laughs) You can make the case, if there was anybody who had legitimacy for being angry... You can make the case it was Paul. I mean, think about it. The guy went all over the Roman Empire planting churches. He's doing all these right things. And then one day, they throw him into prison. Anybody who has an argument, it could be Paul. And then, right in the middle of this letter, chapter 4, he writes these words. In your anger, do not sin. And that's a key point for us this morning as we're talking about anger. You see, the key point is this. Paul lets us know you can be angry and not sin. You know, a lot of us, we get angry and we sin. But he's saying you can actually get angry and not sin as a result of it. The original word here for anger in the Greek is orge, and it means desire. And it carries the idea here of an emotional response to a hurt that you've experienced. So what Paul's saying here is that you're going to have something happen to you. It's going to elicit this hurt. It's going to cause you to react to it. And he's saying, don't sin as a result of it. And then he continues, he says, don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. And I'll just say this to those of you that are married, if if this resonates with you, you ever have an argument right before you're going to go to bed and you're lying there and uh, you can't sleep, Not because you feel such remorse about the argument, but because your spouse is exhaling so loudly, they're disturbing your rest. Trust me, I I don't know any, uh, this has not ever happened to me, but I'm just saying from a friend who told me, I'm the guy that's exhaling loudly, Eskan, I'm the one. And what Paul's saying here is this, don't let the sun go down on your anger, which means deal with it. Deal with the anger, deal with the problem. 
And then he finishes by saying this, do not give the devil a foothold. And that word foothold is kind of an interesting word in the Greek. It's, it means a room or a place. And what Paul's saying here is no longer, the long, excuse me, the longer you're angry, the more room or the more space that you're giving the devil to use that anger to accomplish negative or bad results. And that's exactly what happened the first time that anger is mentioned in the Bible. It's between two brothers, Cain and Abel. Some of you know they were the sons, the first sons of Adam and Eve. And we pick up their story in Genesis, the fourth chapter, starting with verse 6. It says, Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? Now there's a backstory to this text. Both Cain and Abel brought offerings to God, and God accepted Abel's sacrifice because he did it exactly the way that God had intended and explained. But Cain, his sacrifice was not received by God because he did it his own way. And God says in this verse 7, he says, look at what you're doing. Look, excuse me, if you're doing what's right, won't it be accepted? The story continues in verse 7. God says, But if you do not do what is right, listen, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. There's a lot going on in this this last part of verse 7. He says, If you don't do what is right, when you should know that sin is crouching, it is ready to pounce on you. Sin wants you. He says, but you must rule over it. Another translation says, you must master it. And Cain failed to master his sin. In fact, sin ruled over him. You see, he's thinking in his mind all along, this isn't fair. God doesn't, God's not playing, he's not measuring things. This is apples and oranges. Things are different. I mean, Abel, my brother, all he does is sit there and watch the sheep. They eat, they sleep, and they grow. Me, I've got to plow the ground. I've got to plant the seeds. I've got to water the seeds. They're not even comparable. I'm doing way more than my brother is. And he just starts to grow in this anger against his brother. He's thinking And getting angrier and angrier. And he's becoming jealous. And he gets to the point, finally, where he just takes his brother out into the field and he murders him. Sounds a little bit extreme. Hopefully you've never allowed your anger to reach the level of a boiling point where you would be so inclined to take another person's life. However, if you've allowed your anger enough free reign to wish that someone else were dead, then actually in God's eyes, you're just as guilty as Cain. I don't know if you know that, but Jesus explains this in Matthew, the fifth chapter, verses 21 and 22. Look what he says. He says, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Anyone, again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. 
The word raka is not a word that we commonly use in our English language. It's an an Aramaic term of contempt. You know, contempt is when you look at someone and you say, I hate you. Not, I hate what you did, but because of what you did, I hate you. Or because of who you associate, I hate you. Or because of where you came from, or what you believe, or your economic stature, I hate you. It's a term of contempt, raka. It might be a word that's similar that we would use in our language like idiot or jerk when we use it with contempt. You're an idiot or you're a jerk. When I think about this idea that Jesus said that if we use that terminology, we're on the same plane as Cain. I'm honest in my own thinking. I know I have thought far worse than that before about someone who made me mad. I have thought far worse. I've actually probably even used words far worse. Well, I can guarantee you I have. We've got to learn to master our anger, and it's possible. There are two wrong ways to handle your anger. The first was there are spewers. And if you're a spewer, you probably already know you're a spewer. You're probably, you probably, we've probably heard you uh, explaining yourself because you need to get things off your chest. And you do it sometimes at a moderate level, volume-wise, and sometimes you do it at an accelerated level. So that not just the people around you, but people in Jesmond County and Woodford County can hear that you have a problem with this. You want to get it off of your chest, get it out in the open. So you send a text message or an email, or maybe you even write a letter and you use lots of bold type, right? Use lots of exclamation points. Boom, 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 right? Because you want people to know you are energized. That's a nice way of saying you're yelling in the text. And you underline things that are important, which means about a third of, the, of, the, of this communication is underlined. Your messages are really, really long because you just let it rip. Just let it flow. You leave voicemails, they're the same way. Only now you can hear the temperature in your voice. Somebody might say you're filled with rage. You want to just get it out there, get it off your chest, You're a spewer. Well, there's a second way that people manage anger in the wrong way, and that is they are stewers. Stewers. Now, if you're a stewer, you're a little harder to recognize, but you're still just as dangerous. You keep it all bottled up within you, and it churns on the inside. And this anger, it just builds up and builds up. It's like water that's right on the threshold of boiling. And you say, everything's fine, yet you're about to put cyanide in somebody's coffee. Because the anger inside of you is just churning. I had a lady text me in between services, and she said, is it possible to be a spewer and a stewer? (laughs) I think I'm both. It is possible. You can be a little bit of both, or you can be a lot of both. This is what the Bible says about spewers. Proverbs 29, 11, it says, Fools give full vent to their rage, but the wise bring calm in the end. 
This is what you need to know about spewers. Spewers express their anger. They express their anger. Several years ago, it's probably been about 25, maybe even 30 years ago, I went to a Cincinnati Reds game, and I had tickets next to a guy. I didn't know him. He was a Cincinnati guy, and we started chatting early in the game. And I would just tell you this about him. The best word to describe him was intense, all right? I mean, he was a big Reds fan, and the one thing that he did not agree with was anything that the umpires did, okay? And if you've ever been an umpire, you know these people are the, the worst people in the, in the entire uh, ballpark, right? Because you make a great call, and they don't see it a great call, because it went against their team. And this guy, he, he just, I would just say this. He used a vernacular that educated me. I'm not going to use any of those words this morning because it just wouldn't be appropriate. And it wasn't directed to the other team. It was directed just at the umpires, right? Well, we chatted all through the game. About the seventh inning, I asked him that question. I said, hey, man, what do you do for a living? It was in between, you know, the innings. And he said, oh, I work at Procter & Gamble. And he explained to me his job. And then he said to me, he said, what do you do for a living? To which I said, I'm a minister down in Lexington, Kentucky. And there was this big pause. And then he dropped his head and he said, I'm sorry, Father. (laughs) I almost, it was great, but I almost wish I hadn't asked him, right? Because I knew. And he felt terrible. I mean, he's horribly embarrassed. First of all, he thought I was a priest. That was funny in itself. But then, then he was totally embarrassed by it. And the Bible says that about us, that Fools, when we lose control of our anger, we're foolish. And we feel it, don't we? You ever regret it? You do something, you go, man, I wish I had said that. You know, almost as it's leaving your mouth, you wish you could just reach out and grab it and bring it back. The last part of Proverbs twenty nine eleven says, but the wise will bring calm in the end. What does a wise man or a wise woman do? He keeps himself, he keeps herself under control. During the first few weeks as a college freshman, several of the guys on my floor decided to haze me or initiate me into the, into the floor. And so their initiation was to throw me fully clothed into a shower, but I had other plans. As I struggled to get away from these guys, my glasses flew off and my watch popped off, and at one point I was completely upside down on my way to a waiting shower. And something inside of me just exploded. I'm not proud of it, but it happened. And I remember thinking, if I ever get on my feet again, I'm going to punch the first person I have a chance to hit. And it wasn't long. I was on my feet, and I was ready to hit, and I hesitated because the person standing right in front of me was my roommate. You got to know, he's about, he's about 245, he's 6'3". I mean, not the guy you want to hit. And he was my friend. He was one of my closest friends. So I hesitated, and he just bear-hugged me and picked me up off the ground. And my feet were like this, you know, and he walked me all the way down to our room. Hazing was over. And I felt totally ashamed. Even telling the story today conjures up a sense of remorse in me. But I was so grateful it was Doug and not one of the other guys. I can't imagine what would have happened had I hit one of those guys. I mean, I was 18 at the time. I could have been arrested, hauled off to jail, maybe even facing some kind of 
assault charges. And I was in Bible college. Not exactly resume material, you know what I mean? Maybe today you don't think you could lose your temper enough that you would hit someone physically. Maybe you haven't hit anyone in your life with your fist, but you've hit them with your words. In a bad moment, you lost control, and you said unthinkable things like, I wish I'd never married you, or I wish I'd never had you, or you'll never amount to anything. Words are powerful. Whether we say them or whether we write them, or we write them from a distance on a post or on a website, Proverbs 18.21 says the tongue has the power of life and death. And those who love it will eat its fruit. Spewers express their anger and they leave a path of devastation behind them as they do. But what about stewers? Stewers suppress their anger. If spewers express their anger, stewers suppress their anger. Listen to what Psalms 32 3 says, when I, was, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. You can almost feel the pain in that passage, can't you? It's inside and it just is hurting. King David wrote this verse and he was a frequent steward. This verse records a time when David was upset and he was holding it in. He bottled it all up like a lot of us do. We get mad and rather than talking things out in a healthy way, we pour things into the internal slow cooker and we just pressure cook it over time. And often when we stew, we do tremendous damage. Not just to ourselves, but oftentimes to people around us. You see this in the story of the prodigal son. Many of you know the story. A young man gets his inheritance from his father before his father's death, and he goes off to the Vegas of his day, and he lives his life in a raucous and wild way. And then he comes home, hat in hand, and his dad says, we're glad you're home, and he throws a big party for the prodigal son. But sometimes people miss the other guy in the story. It's the older brother. And we see this in Luke 15, verse 28, just one snapshot of how the older brother behaves. Listen to what the text says. It says, the older brother became angry and refused to go in. He refused to go into the party because the older brother was stewing. And rather than go in and celebrate the return of his brother, who for all practical purposes was gone, they didn't think they would ever see him again. Rather than go in and celebrate his return, he stays outside. And he says things to himself like, I stayed home and took care of the family business. My brother's out gallivanting all over the God knows where. Do they throw me a party? No. No. Where was he when I was running things here? Nowhere to be found. And yet, dad throws him a party just made no sense to the older brother. And he's stewing about it. He keeps getting angry. And he doesn't think he's doing any kind of damage. But that's what stewards do. You emotionally shut yourself down, especially to people who are important to you. Put up a wall, even affecting the people who you love and who love you dearly. And it's just destructive to those relationships because you don't let anybody in. You hide it. You keep it inside. What's wrong? Nothing. 
Seems like something's wrong. I said nothing. You don't talk about it. You don't process it. And worse, this thing called anger just starts to eat you up on the inside. The reality is whether you're a spewer or a stewer, or maybe you're a little bit of both, what we're going to do with our anger is really, really important to know. You've got to ask that. You see, the consequences of our anger will damage our life and the lives of those who are important to us, and even those who are beyond the scope we may not even know. They're going to It's going to do a lot of damage unless we learn to control our response to our anger, unless we figure out how to master it. If you know that your anger is leading you to sin, then you need to put that fire out. You need to get the Holy Spirit involved to use the fire extinguisher of God's mercy to put that sin out. Proverbs 17, 14 says, Starting a quarrel is like breaching a dam. So drop the matter before a dispute breaks out. When we feel sinful anger rising up inside of us, put the fire out before the dam breaks and sweeps both of you away. Put out the fire of your anger. Putting out that fire, it might seem impossible. But keep in mind, anger is a choice. And you can control it. You can I had this experience recently. Uh, It was probably two or three years ago. I was driving down Liberty Road towards New Circle. You know that intersection? There's a speedway on the right. Most of you probably come that way or at least travel that way at some point if you live in this Hamburg area. And I was driving along and I was passing cars that were all in the left-hand turn lane. And just as I got to the intersection, I was going to go through the intersection, but I saw the, the traffic open up and I just slid right over and came to a stop. I mean, I was sitting there thinking, I am a phenomenal driver, right? Because I passed, I probably passed 40 cars in the turn lane. And I was sitting there admiring my skill when all of a sudden I heard a police cruiser bump its siren. Just a couple times, you know, not like a big full siren, just whoop, whoop, that kind of thing. And I looked to my right, and there was the cruiser, Fayette County. And the guy's not happy. And he did the roll the window thing down, and so I rolled the window down, and he said, do you know that what you did is illegal? And I did what every good American male said, does. It was He said, yes. You see that white line right there? I said, yes, sir. He said, you can't cross that. I said, oh, okay, thank you, thank you. And thankfully, he didn't give me a ticket, okay? He could have, but he didn't. But what he did was he unleashed the kraken in me, as now I will not do that, but hundreds of people since then have cut in front of me over the white line. And I'm sitting back in traffic going, that is illegal. (laughs) Right there. One day, my wife happened to be with me. And I said to her, I go, do you see what that car did? She said, yes. I said, that's illegal. She said, how do you know that? I said, that's none of your business, okay? (laughs) I said, but it really ticks me off because I know it's illegal. And she said, well, relax. And I said, no, you don't understand. I'm going to, when we get through this slide, I'm going to pull up next to them and give them a stern look. Give them a stern look. And she looked at me like, you're an idiot, okay? Not in the rock a contemptful way, but she gave me that look. You know what I mean? And she says, 
No, you're not. And it was in that moment I realized I could control that because she was in the car with me. Now, later, I've given some stern looks since then of people who've cut in front of me. And I got to tell you, I wrote this illustration on Monday. Twice this week, somebody did it to me. Twice. Oh, my gosh. I've never wanted to use the word raka more in my life. Here's the deal. All seriousness. Other people driving can make us furious. I know that's true for me. But the wise thing to do when I'm getting angry while driving is to pump the brakes a little bit. Slow things down. I don't need to race ahead and give someone a stern look. It works. And this, this pumping the brakes, if you apply it in the right context, it'll work in every situation. So what about you? Is there an area of your life you need to pump the brakes in? You know, when I was a kid, people always told me, you get angry, count to ten. And when I got older, I realized there's nothing significant or magical about the number ten. It just gives us adequate time to kind of refocus our thinking so that we don't do something or say something that we're later going to regret. It takes us from white hot down here to just red hot. And red hot's manageable. So what is it that you need to pump the brakes about? Listen to what James says. I think he says something probably in a scriptural context, but he's basically saying here, pump the brakes. Listen to what he writes in James 1, 19 and 20. He says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. James is saying, pump the brakes. Before you speed off and give someone a stern look, Or do something even worse. He says, be quick to listen. The first thing he says is listen. Be quick to do that. Get all the facts. Get all the information. There may be things going on here that you're not aware of. And you get all excited and all angry. And you miss something really important. Listen. The second thing he says is take time to think about what you're going to do. He says, be slow to speak. Choose your words wisely. Don't jump off real quickly into some some tirade. And then the third thing he says is don't launch immediately into being angry. He says, slow to become angry. Pump the brakes. Maybe you're driving and your kids are screaming in the back of the car. What do you do? You literally pump the brakes. Slow down. Maybe pull over. Take some time to discipline your children. Don't get frustrated. Don't fly off the handle. It's not going to accomplish anything. And my dad used to reach over the, you know, thing like that. And I got really good at evading that, you know. It didn't help. Maybe you've had some arguments with your spouse recently about money. And you just can't reach an agreement. And it just gets you all emotional. You cry or he cries or whatever and you're angry. So what do you do? Pump the brakes. Stop. Slow down. Set aside some time to work on a plan. Come up with a budget. Figure out how you're going to spend your money that you all agree on it. Whatever the situation is, Paul says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Put it out. Deal with it. Some of you say, Monty, it's a cute story about Liberty Road, but it's not that easy to control it. It's just not that easy. Let me give you a different perspective. 
How many of you have ever had an argument on your way to church with someone in the car with you? Let me see your hands. Go ahead. Wow. And see, you guys are the real people. First service, there were three people. They went, yeah. I, yeah. And everyone else says, no, we don't argue. We love Jesus on our way. <laughs> so the next series is going to be online, you know, because first service needs it, right? How many of you had a fight today on the way? Anybody? You fought? Good. That's beautiful. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, Ann and I never fight. We never fight because we drive two separate cars. <laughs> and there's about a two-hour difference when, when we are even on the road together because I'd give her a stern look, I promise you. If she got, she cut me off. Here's the deal. You get to church. You've had this fight. You get out of the car. You walk in. It's praise the Lord. How are you doing? Everything's fine, right? You're praying. You're worshiping, you're listening, you're growing in your faith, and you get back in the car, and what happens? Shut up. You know, what happens? We're right back at it again. It happens a lot. It tells us one thing. Anger is a choice, and you, can, you do have the choice to master it. You can master it. Let me close by spending just a few minutes here uh, this morning talking about righteous anger. What do we do with righteous anger? Now, righteous anger is defined as anger at something that angers the heart of God. And when it comes to righteous anger, I want to encourage you to press the accelerator. If you're pumping the brakes on unrighteous anger, you should press the accelerator on righteous anger. Now, this is what I mean. Give it a little gas. We want to allow this anger to motivate us, not to, not to go fight some, you know, crusade of sort, but to motivate us to address the issue that is causing us, to fix the issue of that which is causing us to have this righteous anger. Maybe for you it's poverty. And when you, think, when you see poverty, it just, it just really affects you. And you look at the big picture of it and you say, nobody in this world today, nobody should ever be hungry. There's enough food to go around. Or maybe it's a disease you know, cancer, AIDS, or Alzheimer's, or some other disease that took someone who you love, and you think about, man, we should figure out a way to eliminate that disease. It's caused enough hurt and heartache in the lives of people all around the world. Or maybe it's something like the opioid crisis that has just really wrecked large parts of our eastern part of our commonwealth. And we think, somebody should do something about that. What could I do? What could I do? Press the accelerator. You could do something. You could do something to make a difference. Jesus had righteous anger in a couple different spots in Scripture. One of them we find is in Mark, the third chapter, verses 1 through 6. He went to worship on the Sabbath, and he went in, and he was going to heal this guy who had a deformed hand. But he knew the religious leaders were there trying to trap him and catch him breaking the law on the Sabbath. And here's what happened. In Mark, the third chapter, verse 5, it says, He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was completely restored. Jesus had a righteous anger, and he used that anger to do something awesome. Here's the question. What is your righteous anger? you're taking notes, there's a spot at the bottom of your program to write it down. And I want to encourage you to write it down. What is it that just makes you angry? And it's, this, it's something that angers the heart of God. If you don't have one, 
or at least you can't think of it just yet, it's okay. I'm going to pray in just a moment. I'm going to ask God to give you one. Because I think all of us should be in, in tune with the heart of God to change the world that we live in for it to be more like the heart of God. And maybe we can't solve every problem, but what if we put a little bit of a dent in it? Let that righteous anger motivate you to do something awesome. Because the reality is, as followers of Jesus, there are a lot of things in this life that anger God's heart, which means these things should anger our hearts as well. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for the time to open your word and to look at what your response is toward anger, both unrighteous and righteous. And God, first, I would just want to lift up to you those in this room who have righteous anger. They have things that really just get them all fired up, but they haven't done anything about it. They really haven't. They just have had kind of an emotional moment, but they've, it's never led to anything. God, give them courage to press the accelerator and to stir in them to move and to act to do something. They say, I can't fix all of it. That's fine. But what could we do to change the trajectory of that thing which stirs in us this righteous anger? And Lord, there are some in this room who don't have a righteous anger. When they thought about it, they just, I I don't know that there's anything that I get really that upset about. God, will you give them righteous anger that they will care deeply about something that you care deeply about? Will you fan the flame of that righteous anger in their lives? And God, may they make an impact because of it. Lord, I pray especially this morning for those who are held hostage by anger, unrighteous. It just seems like the little things of the life set them off. They don't know what to do about it. They they truly don't know what to do about it. There's carnage in their path in the wake of their, of their life and they want to change. God, will you give them strength to pump the brakes, to not let the sin of this anger consume them. Help them not to sin in their anger. Help them to master it. Lord, I pray that you would break the chains of this, this controlling controlling thing. Lord, I know that having relief from something like anger really truly starts with Jesus. That we can't have uh, really true freedom without a relationship with him. So God, I pray for those that are in this room that may be struggling with anger but have never taken that step of faith to put their heart and their mind and their life in your hands, Lord. And so I pray that they would do that today, that maybe it'd be one or maybe it'd be uh, a dozen or more that would say yes to Jesus today because they're tired of being at the mercy of their anger. Lord, we're grateful this morning for the cross that Jesus hung on so that our sins might be washed away as we move into our time of communion, we take this piece of bread and this cup of juice and 
these two little emblems, they represent something so important, so significant. They represent Jesus' body and his blood that were given as a sacrifice that our sins might be washed away. God, I think this is a great little object lesson for us every week to remind us of the price that you paid and the love that was behind that price. God, we thank you for it. Draw us close to you during this time, Lord. We thank you for the cross and Jesus dying there for us. And we pray this in his name. Amen.